Welcome to another exciting episode of Mr. Cornwell's Corner. This week we are going to be covering the Great Depression of the 1930s. Um, segment one, we'll talk about the causes of the Great Depression, and then we'll take a short break and come back for the second segment, which will be the effects or what was life like during the Great Depression. And then our last segment, after our second break, we'll quickly introduce uh, the New Deal, Roosevelt's programs to help us recover from the Great Depression. But um, the New Deal is another podcast all of its own, so we're just going to hit the highlights in that last segment. The Great Depression was the worst economic times in U.S. history and still is to this day. It was triggered by the stock market collapse in October of 1929, and the Depression did not end until the United States' involvement in World War II during the 1940s. So the decade that was affected most heavily by the Great Depression is the 1930s. And to understand what a Depression is, you have to first know what a recession is. When something starts to recede, gentlemen, like your hair, it stops growing and even starts to grow backwards. That's a recession. So an economic recession is when the economy stops growing and not only flattens out or stagnates, but also starts to grow backwards. That is a recession. So what a depression is, a depression is just a very bad recession. So think of it this way. All depressions begin as an economic recession, but not all economic recessions grow into a full depression. So the worst economic times in U.S. history is the 1930s, and that era is referred to as the Great Depression. It was triggered by the stock market collapse, and it winds up affecting all industrialized nations in the entire world, not just the United States. To start with, let's just get into the causes of the Great Depression. There are five basic causes that are on your standards that the state of Georgia wants you to know. The first one is overproduction. Henry Ford's techniques, where he perfected the assembly line, was the early 1900s. The 19-teens was the first decade where mass production was really utilized in many other industries. But from 1914 to 1918, World War I was occurring so there was a market for american goods manufacturers to, to be supplying war efforts for the united states and other allied countries so the 1920s was really the first decade where mass production was utilized in many different areas and industries in the united states and this created a large surplus which is more products than there are consumers this was made even worse because European countries were struggling post-World War I. So in the 1920s, Americans were buying, but Europeans generally were not, which created a surplus. The second major cause was underconsumption, which literally means not buying enough. The 1920s is really the first decade that the United States uses credit to buy stuff. Before the 20s, if you wanted something, you generally saved up and bought it. The 1920s is the first time Americans in mass start to use credit to purchase many items. Once the stock market collapses at the end of the 20s, conspicuous consumption or people just buying stuff on credit kind of comes to a stop and people only start to buy just the necessities. So after the stock market collapse in 1929, 1930s is really the period of underconsumption because people stopped buying excess and only bought what was necessary. The third major cause of the Great Depression 
is buying on margin, which is basically using credit to purchase stocks. It's kind of a get rich quick scheme. That was the mindset of many Americans 1920s. Now the stock market in the United States goes back decades before the 1920s. However, what's different in 1920s is average Americans start to play the stock game instead of just wealthy Americans. And they start to use credit to do that. So instead of invest, investing your own money, banks and other financial institutions are willing to loan you money with like 10% down and then you can buy more stocks. So what happens as millions of people start to use credit or buying on margin during the 1920s, the price of stocks goes up drastically throughout the 1920s. But it's kind of an inflated price because most of it's based on credit and not real value, real currency. And think of it as like a big balloon bubble. Eventually, you keep blowing it up, blowing it up, blowing it up. Eventually, it's going to pop. And that popped happened at the end of the decade in 1929. Another major cause of the Great Depression was the disparity in wealth. By the end of the 1920s, about 1% of Americans owned about 40% of the wealth. So you really see a, a great disparity between the really rich and the average Americans, what we're talking about. Most sectors prospered during the 1920s, but there were a few that did not. One that did not was farmers generally struggled throughout the 1920s because they overproduced for the market. And a big part of that is European markets stopped buying American goods in the 1920s because after World War One they didn't have the money and this really hurt farmers. Also, coal mining was a big industry in the United States in the 19-teens, 1920s, and the coal mining industry suffered greatly because it started to be replaced with fossil fuel-based energy. So that market, that sector kind of collapsed, which hurt a lot of people financially as well. The fifth and final major cause of what becomes the Great Depression is the banking panic. As stocks started to tumble in mid to late 1929, people started to withdraw their money from banks. They were afraid of a recession. What banks are, banks are private businesses. And they are in business just like Walmart or, or Target or any other business. Banks are in business to make money. What they do is they take your money and invest it in other areas, such as stocks, mutual funds. Um, they also loan money out to businesses or individuals for like mortgages. So banks don't just take your money and put it on a the shelf. They invest your money and hopefully make a profit. That's how they're able to offer you 3% on savings accounts because they charge interest on their loans. So banks are private institutions that are in business to make money. What happens is if people start to withdraw their money out, banks can actually run low or run out of funds. And that's what started to happen after the stock market collapse. In the early 1930s, banks began to fail all throughout the United States. So at one point in the 1930s, there's 48 states in the union. And out of those 48, only 12 still have a bank open in them. There means 36 states no longer have a bank still operating. Over 9,000 banks failed during the Great Depression. 9,000. That's a lot of banks. So that was a major issue which added to the financial worries. All right. So let's take a short break and we'll be right back after this song. It is titled Brother Can You Spare a Dime, which was one of the more famous songs during the Great Depression of the 1930s. They used to tell me I was building a dream And so I followed the mob When there was earth to plow or guns to bear I was always there, right on the job They used to tell me I was building a dream With peace and glory ahead Why should I be standing in line 
just waiting for bread. Once I built a railroad, made it run, made it race against time. Once I built a railroad, now it's done. Brother, can you spare a dime? Once I built a tower to the sun, brick and rivet and lime. Once I built a tower, now it's done. Brother, can you spare a dime? Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed Brother, Can You Spare a Dime? Now we're going to get into the Great Depression itself or the effects during the Great Depression of the 1930s. The causes we covered in segment one led to a financial crisis. Now keep in mind, once the stock market collapses in 1929, it's not like everybody knows right away that, oh, this is a depression. It begins as a recession and then grows into a full-blown depression. And when you're living through history, you know things are changing, but you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, the next day, or the future. So many people believe things would get better financially. Um, It's not the first time in the United States that the economy had dipped. 1893, the economy had dipped. and 1837, the economy had dipped. And many people were making predictions that it will recover and come back. So it takes time. It evolves over time. By 1933, about almost four years into the Depression, unemployment in the United States was about 25%, which is an all-time high in U.S. history. That means one out of every four Americans that wanted a job did not have one because of economic factors beyond their control. Fortune magazine in 1932 did a study and what they found is 34 million people were living in a household where they had no major source of income. Nobody worked. Mom or dad did not have a job to support. Now keep in mind during this time period, there's a little less than 160 million Americans alive. Today, there's more than double that. So if the depression were to hit again today, we'd have over 60 8 million people who are living without any real source of income, which is not good. And out of those people, over 2 million people were homeless during the Great Depression. That's 2 million homeless people. And many of these people were middle class workers in the 1920s. And then because of economic conditions that they can't control, they become homeless during the Great Depression. It's just a very tough economic time. Now, many of these people who previously had jobs and families, once they lose their job, they run out of their savings. Many of them lose their house. Many of them have no food, nowhere to turn, and families become stressed and overwhelmed. And pretty soon, like local charities become overwhelmed and there's really no place to go. Millions of people start to turn to the streets. And what starts to happen in major cities all throughout the United States, like Boston, New York, Chicago, is people who were previously middle class started living in these shanty towns, these pop-up towns. Some of the houses are made out of wood, some are made out of cardboard, and they kind of live together. And those derisively become known as Hoovervilles. Uh, They're named Hoovervilles after the president of the United States at the time, Herbert Hoover, who many Americans see as not helping them during the Depression. So Herbert Hoover is president when the Great Depression strikes, and he's president for the first three years of what becomes the Great Depression. And many Americans do not feel he's doing anything or enough to help them out. So they start to call their homeless encampments Hoovervilles, which is making fun of President Herbert Hoover. Hoover does try a few things late on, but many people just believe it's too little too late. The main reason 
reason Hoover does not help as president is he simply believes it's not the federal government's position to help out individuals. He calls it volunteerism. Hoover believes that families should help out, local private organizations like Salvation Army should help out. Like personally, he spends a few million dollars out of his own pocket to help, but he simply believes the federal government should not be used for direct social welfare. So it's basically a difference of governmental philosophy, especially with Franklin Roosevelt. Towards the end of Hoover's administration, he does do a few things, creates a couple relief work programs to put people back to work. One of them was building the Golden Gate Bridge, and the other was building Boulder Dam, which becomes known as Hoover Dam, and it's named after Hoover because he was started construction while he was president. But many people just believe it's way too little, way too late. So by the time we come to 1932, the United States is in a full-blown depression. So the election of 32 is all about the economy. And a vote for Hoover is basically a vote for helping yourself out. A vote for FDR is a vote for using the federal government to help out individuals who are hurt financially during the Great Depression. So the election of 1932 is really one of those crossroads elections. There's clear direction the country can take. Either allow the federal government to get involved in social welfare or do not allow it. That's basically the two candidates. Roosevelt wins in a landslide by 57 percent to just 39 percent for Hoover. So FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, is elected the 32nd president of the United States in 1932. So he takes office March 4th, 1933. And FDR has vowed to use every resource available to him and the executive branch and legislative branch of government to help individuals recover from the Great Depression. Now he calls those programs a new deal, which was based on his fifth cousin Theodore Roosevelt's square deal. So let's take one more short break and we'll be back in just a minute to just do a quick overview of Roosevelt's New Deal. During this break, we're going to listen to You Are My Sunshine, which was a song from a very famous movie about the Great Depression called Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Enjoy. Welcome back for the third and final segment of today's podcast on the Great Depression. The first segment concentrated on the causes or events that led to the Great Depression of the 1930s. And then the second segment looked at some of the effects of the Great Depression of the 1930s. This last one's going to concentrate on the government's response. So FDR was elected president. In 1932. And what he does is he uses Congress because he's a Democrat. And not only does he win, the Democrats also take control of the Senate and the House. So the Democrats get a clean sweep in 1932 of the legislative process. So Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR, has no problem getting just about any bill he wants introduced to Congress, getting passed through both houses and signing into law. So he is so busy his first hundred days because FDR and many Democrats believe that Hoover and the Republicans 
did not do enough to help in the early days of the depression. So they are super busy when he takes office, passing as many programs to help out people as possible. Those programs are known as the New Deal, which is the government's response to the Great Depression. Busy as government was, and as many programs as the New Deal passes, what ultimately brings the United States out of the Great Depression is not FDR's New Deal. And when he takes office, unemployment's at 25%. By 1940, unemployment is still over 15%, which was four times higher than what the original unemployment rate was before the stock market collapse in 1929. The New Deal does help, but it doesn't help end the Depression. What ultimately pulls the United States and the rest of the world out of the Great Depression is World War II. It begins in the late 30s, and the United States joins in 1941. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Mr. Cornwell's Corner on the Great Depression. On our way out today, I want to leave you with a special treat. We recently took a trip to Mount Rushmore in South Dakota, which is in the Black Hills. And on location, I have a special interview with Alex Cornwell, my son. Enjoy. This is Mr. Cornwell live and on location, the Black Hills, South Dakota at Mount Rushmore. Today with me, I have Alex Cornwell making his very first trip to Mount Rushmore. How you doing, Alex? Good. So, Alex, what do you think of Mount Rushmore, the sculpture, after seeing it in person versus seeing it on computer or pictures? Does it look lifelike or does it look kind of fake? It's really realistic. They put a lot of details into it. Lots of details, such as, can you tell me any of the details that you see? Like, George Washington's face has some marks on it because he had smallpox as a teenager. Oh, wow, that is lifelike details, isn't it? And uh, what about Teddy Roosevelt? You see anything on Teddy's face? You can see his glasses just barely. That's so cool, isn't it? So, Alex, the last question for you is, would you recommend a trip all the way out here to just, just to see Mount Rushmore? Yes. Well, that's it for Mr. Cordenwell's Corner live at Mount Rushmore. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to like this podcast, ring that bell so you're notified whenever we drop a new podcast, and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we will see you next week on Mr. Cornwell's Corner.